You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am very honored to uh, introduce you to David Meerman Scott, mostly because I not only own his book and I've read his book, but like a lot of words in my life, I never really knew how to pronounce them until you say it out loud. So if you have ever picked up the book, Phenocracy, David, tell us how to properly say this book. You got it. You did, I did it, it right. Phenocracy. Phenocracy. It's like democracy, but with a fan in front of it, Darian. Okay, because I was nervous about today. Because I remember I, uh, I met my wife, and she's very smart and well-read. And there's certain words in books that when I try to use them, she would laugh because I totally said them wrong. Well, my wife is very smart and well-read, and she's Japanese. And I didn't know how to pronounce her name on our first date, so I have you beat. <laughs> that is amazing. So, okay, we got to talk about this. As folks know, when you do these podcasts, sometimes you have people find information about the guests and do some research beforehand. But David, you are truly, and, and I don't know if you still are, but I could say you were big in Japan, as the slogan goes. <laughs> you were a I, male I model was, in Japan. I was big in Japan. I lived in Japan for seven years when I was in my late 20s and early 30s. And I was a model who specialized in the young businessman look. And they loved me because I was actually a young businessman. Uh, I was working for an American technology company. And then I moonlighted in part-time as a model doing television commercials and did a couple of movies and some TV shows and uh, print ads. It was hysterical. (laughs) And it was actually really fun from a marketing perspective to be able to see it from that side because I I was a marketing person. I was was head of marketing for a U.S.-based technology and news company that was eventually acquired by Canadian Thomson Reuters. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so as a marketing person... To be a, an actor in television commercials was super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, you saw the other side of the... Yeah, the, I did. How, how I the did. sausage is made. Exactly right. And it's like, what a waste of freaking money, man. TV commercials are not the way to go if you're a marketer. <laughs> so I, I want to know about this. So not only is it a Wall Street Journal bestselling book... But tell me about the involvement your daughter had in the process of this book. Yeah, so, so I've written, this is my 11th book. And most marketers know me for a book called The New Rules of Marketing and PR. That book originally came out in 2007. It's now in the seventh edition. It's in 29 languages from Albanian to Vietnamese. And that book was the first book to talk about the whole kind of you know, call it what you want to, content marketing revolution, social media marketing revolution, inbound marketing revolution, all of those terms have been applied to it. But I wrote the first book on that topic. And about five years ago, I started to feel like the whole online marketing thing was getting to the point that not only was it not working anymore, but particularly because of the algorithms used by the social networks, and in particular Facebook, that social networking was no longer just kind of the fun, happy, everyone loves each other thing that it was in the beginning. It turned into a dark, polarized place. And I believe now that the Facebook algorithm is the most dangerous thing ever invented. I truly do. I think it is the most dangerous thing ever invented because what it does is it puts people into 
buckets because Facebook makes more money the more time you spend on Facebook. And their algorithms have learned, sometimes it's even beyond humans, the humans can't control it. The algorithm has learned that the more polarizing the content, the more outrageous the content, the more people will watch it, and then they'll just serve up more of it, which is why so many people get sucked into conspiracy theories. And I was just, I'm outraged by it, you know? And I stopped using Facebook, and I started talking about this, and I talk about it from the stage, I've blogged about it, I've tweeted about it. And, then, and, and I was also thinking about, well, what is there to replace it? I mean, here I am, the dude who wrote the book on how to do social media marketing, and I'm starting a bit of a backlash against it. I'm not the only one. There's lots of other people talking this way. I'm sure you've probably had even had some other guests talking about this. So what else is there? And I kept coming back to this idea of fandom. And I'm thinking to myself how much of a fan I am of live music. And I'm just a massive fan of live music. I've been to 804 live concerts in my life. Sadly, nothing's for the last 13 months because of COVID. And I've been to 75 Grateful Dead concerts. And I think to myself, God, I'm such a fan of this stuff. And I started talking to my daughter, Reiko. She's now 28. So when we first started talking, she was 22 or so. And then she was riffing on her love of (laughs) K-pop and her love of Harry Potter. She's not only read every book and seen every movie multiple times, but wrote an 85,000-word alternative ending to the Harry Potter series where Draco Malfoy is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix. Put that on a fan fiction site. It's been downloaded thousands of times and commented on hundreds of times. So we both geeked out about how much we're a fan of these things that we love in our life. And then we started, I I started to talk to a whole bunch of people. Number one, companies that have built fans and have grown because of their fan, the fans that they have. And then people who become fans of something, whether it's in my case, a a band or live music in general, in Reiko's case, Harry Potter, K-pop, or it could be a company or a product that a company makes, or it could be a sports team, or it could be a sport you play, or it could be something like Peloton or or, or whatever it might be. And then I'm like, oh my God, this is fascinating. I have to write a book about this. And I started writing it and I started quizzing Reiko a lot. You know, She's a, a mixed race, my, my wife's Japanese, a mixed race millennial woman who loves Harry Potter and is an emergency room doctor. Whereas I'm a, um, a, a middle-aged white guy who loves the Grateful Dead. And so we are like complete polar opposites on one hand, but think about fandom in the same way. And I said... I kept asking you all these questions, and she's like, I finally, duh, I mean, it dawned on me. She's a great writer. Why not co-write it with her? So we decided to co-write it, and it's it was a wonderful journey. Um, I'm not sure if you have kids, but yeah, I got four writing, of them. writing a book, right, you have four of them. Wow. They're probably younger than Reiko, but gosh, writing a book with your daughter, it brought us together in a fascinating way. But the people who've read the book just continually say how the two voices just make it so different because, you know, the millennials, um, women, you know, just very, very different approaches to fandom. So we needed to make, I I needed to make it totally inclusive. And I'm super glad that she was a part of the project. Yeah. It felt almost, not to compare, I don't know if you've read the book Wonder, they made a movie of it with Julia Roberts, but the whole book, every kind of chapter is a different perspective from a different person. I felt like what Mm. I, what I loved about the book, it felt really refreshing because it wasn't like I was eating chicken the whole time. 
I felt like I had chicken and then there was some sauce and then there were some potatoes and there was some broccoli. Nice. If that's nice. an okay comparison. Yeah, it's a great, no, I love that analogy. And, and you know, it took us a long time to get there because the first draft of the book we wrote with one voice oh, and okay. we wrote it, we wrote it with the Royal we, and, and it, there wasn't that much first person in it, but it was, you know, one voice with two authors and it wasn't working and we weren't quite sure why. And we realized after a while that I was tapping down my voice and she was tapping down my voice to come up with a generic thing that was for both of us. And it wasn't until we decided to I write my chapters and she writes her chapters and we edit each other that it turned out that that it really sings that way. And besides, she's a way better writer than me. So <laughs> that that's nice to have her there um, to, you know, I'm, I'm a hack. She's a writer. <laughs> that's amazing. And, and no one likes design by committee, right? So I love that your true yeah. voices came through. So when you think of brands, and, and some people use the term mm. cult brands, right? So you think of like yep. Lululemon, and I love that you brought up Peloton. When you look at the brands that are doing that now, you use the term fan, right? Finding a true fan and fandom, right? And, you, and we got Fan mm -hmm. Expo that happens every year here in Vancouver, and you see people dressed up. What's your advice to brands that want to create those fans that say, man, I, I want to strive to be like that? What are, the, what are your tips for them or your advice? So there's a bunch of different elements of it, but what it really comes down to is humanity. And how can you develop the whole way that your organization runs to focus on the humanity of how you engage with the world before you think about the products and services that you sell and the money that you generate. And that really is the simple answer. And there's a lot of bits we can unpack there. But what I find most fascinating is that we really dug into the neuroscience of it. Reiko's undergraduate degree at Columbia University was in neuroscience. And we really wanted to dig into the neuroscience. What's going on in our, in our brains when we become a fan of something? And it turns out that it's actually a survival technique. It's hardwired in our brains to want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people. Because when we're a part of a tribe of like-minded people, that's when we're safe and comfortable. That's when we feel good. And it actually goes back tens of thousands of years to when we were proto-humans, you know, roaming through the woods or, or I'm thinking of the indigenous people in, of Canada, you know, doing their seal hunting and so on. If you were in your tribe, you were safe and comfortable. If you were alone, you were vulnerable. And if you ran across people from another tribe, you were super vulnerable. And that actually has carried forward to humans, neuroscientists told us, <laughs> where, where if you're you know, with a bunch of people doing Peloton, you feel safe and comfortable because everyone knows you know, the lingo and the drills and what happens. If I'm at a Grateful Dead concert, I've been to 75 of them. I just like, actually just got tickets for um, some shows in early 2022 that they're going to do in Mexico. I'm like super excited to be with my tribe. And so how can your organ, you know, anyone who's listening, how can your organization build a tribe of like-minded people? And I'm, and people sometimes push back and say, well, yeah, I'm not the Grateful Dead and I'm not Peloton, you know, maybe we run a commodity business or we, you know, we're in a business that, you know, that doesn't lend itself to that. Well, it turns out we found examples in 
all kinds of different organizations that have been able to develop fans. You know, for example, we found a, a U.S. government agency that has um, over 50 million fans, people who follow them on Instagram. A U.S. government agency, you think, U.S. government agency, you know, Canadians think, who the hell would be a fan of one of them? But NASA has tens of millions of fans all over the world. You could be walking yep. down the street in, in Yellowknife and not be surprised to see somebody with a NASA logo on a T-shirt. I have a NASA sweatshirt. There I you got go, a NASA sweatshirt. I love it. And yeah. so there it is, there it is, right? You're a fan of NASA, how cool is that? We ran across an insurance company. They do auto insurance. They actually specialize in classic car auto insurance. They're called Haggerty. And we interviewed Mikhail Haggerty, who's the entrepreneurial owner and CEO of Haggerty Insurance. And all of his marketing was, all of it was built around fandom. And he said, David, the insurance business is seen as a commodity business. I can't be the low cost provider. I can't be the one that's spending more money on ads than anybody else. So I built my business on fandom. So some of the things that they do is they go to over 100 classic car shows around um, North America every year where they meet with people who are classic car lovers. They have a YouTube channel with over a million subscribers. They have a driver's club where again, here again is building that tribe. They have an online and offline driver's club where people get together and they found that people love to get together with people who have the same classic car as they do. You know, if you're, if you're an MG fan, you get with other MG people. And Haggerty, by doing this, by focusing on developing fans, has become the largest classic car auto insurance company in the world. They've grown by double-digit wow. growth every single year since their inception. Absolutely crushing it. They'll grow by 200,000 new members this year. I actually own a 1973 Land Rover, and Haggerty's been insuring it for 15 years. I have my Haggerty insurance card. And what's interesting to me about that is that, and this is where fandom is super interesting to me, is I could find another company that sells classic car auto insurance, and they could come to me and say, David, do exactly what Haggerty does, we're 20% cheaper. I'd say, no, thanks. Not interested. Because that's a commodity yeah. sell. And we're talking here about growing yeah. fans. That's incredible. So if you were to take your finger and, and put it on the pulse of a brand, and, and again, there's probably, you know, there's some superficial ways. There's, you know, Facebook likes and Instagram followers and email lists. But like, what's the true signs that they are a true fan? I think there's brand? things that you just mentioned actually uh, send off false signals. Because everybody knows yeah. you can go to India and buy Facebook likes. So that, that doesn't really say anything. Um, I look for, are people eagerly sharing their love of mm -hmm. your company, yeah. your products and your services? Are they telling their friends about it? Are they, you know, like your NASA sweatshirt, are they wearing the logo, yeah. you know, I've become really enamored with seeing the stickers on the back of people's computers. And I've gone, you yes. know, I haven't been to a, an in-person speaking engagement now in a year because of COVID, but leading up to the release of, of Fanocracy in January of 2020, every conference that I went to speak at, when I saw somebody playing around with their notebook computer and it had stickers on it, I asked them, hey, would you mind if I took a picture of you 
with your computer because I love the fact that you have these stickers and I've got a bunch of other photos of people with stickers. I ended up with 50 of them. And it's so interesting because it's not just a rock band. It's not just a sports team. They're fans of B2B software companies. They're fans of technology. They're yeah. fans of, you know, like yeah. it says, you know, I have people with, it says AWS, Amazon Web Services. It's a freaking, yeah. you know, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a company that hosts web properties, you know, and people are a fan of it yeah. enough to put a sticker on their computer. Oh, yeah. And so I think it's that outward manifestation. You know, you asked, and I love the way you describe it. Put what, if you put your pulse on it, how do you how do you tell what the pulse is? I think that pulses are they sharing, and it's possible to cultivate that, but it really needs to be built organically. An example I love in the consumer world is Me Undies. They're an underwear company, and I yeah, have like I have forty pair. because I got hooked into their subscription model. It's a subscription <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> Oh, you forgot man, to you know, it's like every month you get to pick and and they they hook yep. you because it's it's cheaper when you subscribe and then every month it comes in this cool package and I've got way more than I need but it's super interesting. And so what they've managed to do is get people all over the world to share photos and videos of themselves in their underwear. And it's, it's not just a single person, but it can be a group of people. It can be romantic partners. It can be friends, even have parties where they're just in their underwear. And, and what I love about it, and this, this is another sort of put your finger on the pulse thing that I, I see a lot, is the opposite is stock photo. And, you know, companies that use the stock photos. And Everybody, I got, you know, I got news for you, Marketing Canada fans. Um, and by the way, you have fans, Darian. Um, but Marketing Canada fans, I have news for you. If you're using stock photos, you are not building fans. Because everyone can see mm. through stock photos. They know they're fake. They know that they're ripped out of a catalog. They know that you're too, um, I don't know if I want to be so bold as to say you're too lazy to get real photographs, but, but I will. I just said it. And, and they also see through the $20 words that marketers tend to use, you know, like, oh, we are the innovative underwear company with best of breed elasticity. You know, no, that is not how you build fans. And so what MeUndies does, it's so cool, is because they cultivate the idea that we love it when you share a picture of you or your friends. They also do, by the way, his and hers of the same patterns. And I've so there'll often be people who take pictures together. They, you know, they don't have to be um, a traditional heterosexual couple, but any sorts of couples, they yeah. take pictures together. And it's really interesting. And I love the fact that they're, they're different colors, they're different sizes, they're different ages. And yeah. it's not just beautiful stock models with underwear that, you know, you just like, there's that body is unobtainable. It's, it's people who are a hundred pounds overweight and there's people who are skinny and there's people who are short and it's, I love it. I think it's so super cool. So it's like uh, user generated yeah. content. And people want to share, they're eager to share. And then they're psyched yeah. if MeUndies shares it. You know, oh my God, you know, I just yeah. shared my MeUndies and they shared, they shared. And they have a wonderful slogan. And I don't know what the number is now, but I believe it's 11. 11 million happy butts and going strong. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, That's so amazing. I, lo I love that as an example. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place 
by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So if I jump over to say, uh, just using MailChimp yeah. as an example, down in Atlanta, Georgia. So they, again, pretty much B2B software company, kind of like it's cool. They have a cool logo. But do you think that because they made the physical chimps, the, the little toys that have gotten sent out and they're collectors now on eBay, if they had not done that, would they still have fans without the swag and the toys that are get shared? And, Very and get interesting question. I don't know as much about MailChimp specifically, but um, I do believe that the right kind of swag can be popular, can help. Um, I think in the case of MailChimp, what they did very smartly was there's branding on, I don't know if it's with all the products or whether it's only the low-end products, but you see MailChimp branding when you get an email that was sent by MailChimp. Yeah, and people like remember that. that. And they say, oh, MailChimp, that's interesting. So then when yes. they have to find an email, you know, companies are just getting started, have to find an email system. They may remember that, or if they do a Google search on, on um, you know, starter packages for, for email marketing, they may say, oh, MailChimp, yeah, I've heard of them. I remember them. Yeah. So I think overall that branding has worked for them in, a, in an important way. Um, okay. Can't comment specifically about the swag, but I do think that it does help in some cases. Right. And when you look at a brand, say, uh, you know, I grew up here in Vancouver, and one of my favorite brands was a brand mm. called West Beach Clothing that I grew up with, which was a surfing brand, yeah. but I never surfed. Uh, you know, we, we live in the, you know, you could go to Tofino and surf in the winter. I eventually did that in university. Yeah, you get yeah, a dry yeah. suit and do yeah. it. Um, but West Beach became hugely popular. Surf, surf culture, it was three surfers on the logo. And then eventually that company shut down and the founder of that, I don't know if he sold it or what he did with it, but he started this little yoga clothing store above a, a yoga studio in Kitsilano. And it went on mm. to become Lululemon and it's, you know, they've sold a few more stretchy <laughs> pants a few. since then. <laughs> but their, 
Yeah, the, but their belief system is around, you know, Chip's model was find a audience that already exists, you know, a cultural audience, and then provide the supplies. Or do you think it, it was it chicken and egg or um, egg and chicken? Oh, that's in that an scenario? interesting question. I think I think they it's and I don't know that much about that particular brand, but I think that that they did a great job there. And you know, I mentioned Haggerty Insurance earlier. That's exactly what they did because they found that, an existing they, a, a cult people, group or a people fan group. People who love classic cars. And yeah. they need stuff. One of the things they need is yes. to insure that car. So they've, they specialized only classic cars. We, we, don't, you know, we don't do your 2019 Toyota Corolla. I'm not going to insure that. But your 1952 Mercedes-Benz, we're all over. So they niched. They niched. They, sat, they had to say no to certain types of work. They, and they did. With this. And they did. And they found people who are already fans of something and then wormed their way in. And I, I say wormed their way in with all due love and respect. No. Um, no. And so I, I think that, mean, that's, yeah. that that's true, perhaps, of, of Lululemon is that they found a group of people who were passionate about yoga and whatever else and then figured out that when you're, you know, there are a lot of people, and, 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 and let's be clear, these are all high-end products we've talked about so far. Yeah. You know, Pelotons are expensive. Oh, yeah. Classic cars are ridiculously expensive. Yep. Being able to do yoga in $100 yoga oh. pants is expensive. Yes. But, but this idea works for all kinds of brands. And I, I want to give an example of a commodity product, batteries. Yeah. And um, one of my favorite examples from our book, Fanocracy, is Duracell batteries. And one of the chapters that I loved writing is the chapter that's called Give More Than You Have To. And the basic idea of this is that brands can build fans by giving things away for free with no expectation of anything in return. There's lots of manifestations of that. What can you give away for free without any expectation of anything in return? Well, the Grateful Dead allowed fans to record their concerts. Unlike every other band out there, um, when they, they started in the 60s, they became popular in the 70s, became enormous in the 80s and the 90s. Every other band said, no, you can't record our concerts. And, you know, at that time, it was pretty big gear. You had to have, yep. you know, reel-to-reel or cassette tapes. Then, you know, people tried to bring gear into a Led Zeppelin concert. You know, they'll throw you out. Grateful Dead said, sure, why not? Bring in your gear. Record our shows. No problem. And then those millions and millions of tapes, initially cassette tapes, later files started to circulate and then yeah. people listened and they became a fan and then they yeah. wanted to go spend money to see a show and yeah. yesterday just happened to be yesterday grateful dead put on uh, now they're now dead in company um, but the same core group of people announced their their shows in mexico in january 2022 and i bought a five thousand eight hundred dollar package which includes tickets to the three shows and an all-inclusive resort i spent almost $6,000 on The Grateful Dead 43 years after the first time I heard a tape. I'm still spending money with them on, as a fan. And another manifestation of this idea of giving things away with no expectation of anything in return comes from B2B companies. You know, many B2B companies give away a white paper or a research report or an ebook or something. But they almost always do that, not as giving it away in the way I just described, but they do it using an adversarial technique. That adversarial technique is they say, hey, we have this wonderful research report. It's free. 
And all you have to do is fill out this form and give us your email address, your phone number, whatever. That is not giving away something for free. That is demanding something of a somebody before you give them something. That is absolutely not the way to build fans. Lots of companies use this, but th this technique, but it's particularly B2B companies. My recommendation, eliminate that nonsense where you have to require that gate to get people to jump through, that hoop to jump through, that, that barrier that you want them to jump through, and instead make it completely free. But getting back to Duracell, they have a super cool program called Power Forward. Power Forward gives away free batteries to people who are victims of natural disasters. So hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, tornadoes, things like that. And what they do is they have a, a, a fleet of a half dozen vehicles that when there's a natural disaster, they drive to the disaster and no questions asked. They just give you the batteries that you request. Oh, I need some AAAs. Oh, here's two packs. I need some Ds for my flashlight. Here's your two packs or here's three packs. How many do you need? Five. Here you go. Here's five packs. No, you don't have to fill out a form. You don't have to, you know, you don't, you don't have to do anything. You're just giving them away. And Ramon Valentini is the vice president of marketing at Duracell. He says, David, this is the best thing that we do all year. It's way better than our advertising. It's way better than our social media. Giving away batteries is how we build fans. They've given away tens of millions of batteries. I actually caught up with him a couple of months ago because the book came out and the interview was done well before COVID. And I said, what's up now? And he goes, well, we've given away over 10 million batteries to first responders and healthcare organizations, hospitals, EMTs, fire departments, because they were running out of money and there was a battery shortage, especially early. Now it's, yeah. it's worked itself out, but early on there was battery shortage. 10 million batteries of first responders. And what he said was, people become fans. They're, they'll buy Duracell for life. You know, it's a commodity product. It's not like a Peloton. It's a yeah. commodity product. A battery is a battery. And these people who are exposed to these free batteries will buy Duracells for the rest of their life. And they'll talk about it. They'll share on social media. And in fact, they have something like 6 million fans on Facebook. People who are very active, who are thanking them for for the free batteries. And that's not people, you know, who are just checking the box like. These are people who are truly fans. David, I'm trying to think of the book written by a Canadian woman about brand love. It was, mm. I think it came out in the 90s or 2000s. One thing I want to talk about just with the book, as far as like the CMO's role and the marketing director's role, the agency's role, you know, if they go to say the, the C-suite or the decision makers, or if they want to present this concept and idea, what's your tips on far as like getting other people to understand this concept once they've caught in wind of it? Yeah, I think what's super important is to talk about the idea of developing a genuine human relationship with your existing customers, your potential customers, and turning them into people who genuinely become fans. And it's moving beyond a transaction. It's moving beyond the traditional forms of generating attention and going to the idea that when people love what you do, they tell other people. And when people love what you do, they come back for more. And when people love what you do, they are eager to continue to spend money with you and your organization. And 
it really truly is a different way of thinking about business and a different way of thinking about marketing because you know if you've been to marketing school <laughs> or if you've if you're somebody who has um, you know, learned on the job like me. I never, I never took a marketing course, but learned on the job when I was working for companies in the early part of my career. These aren't things that are discussed. You know, people talk about your target market and they talk about how do you price and they talk about advertising and they talk about, you know, now social media. And you don't really hear people talk about how are we going to generate a human connection with our customers? How are we going to create an environment where people are eager to talk about us. How can we give more to the universe than we expect the universe to give back to us? That's not a business, that's not an MBA school approach. <laughs> You're talking say, like B Corp style stuff, like Ben and I Jerry's, mean, Patagonia. You know, and look at the fandom around those companies, man. Yeah. That's truly, truly fandom yeah. um, generating. And you absolutely can do it in any organization. You know, one of, one of the companies we profiled is HubSpot, a B2B software company. Many marketers know them because they have a wonderful marketing automation platform. I actually joined them as an advisor. I was the first advisor back in 2007. I've been with them ever since. Have helped them to grow using the ideas I've just talked about. Have helped them to grow from zero customers and zero revenue to $850 million in revenue, 100,000 customers around the world. And Brian Halligan's a, buddy, a good buddy of mine. He's the CEO of HubSpot. And he has built his company on these approaches. Well, the, and, the free email grabber, I recommend it all the time to our clients and, and people yeah. starting a business. It's, it's a free tool. And I always say, they're going to try to sell you all this other stuff, but just get yeah. the grabber. It's amazing. I think MailChimp just launched their own version, but back in the day, MailChimp didn't have it. So you, HubSpot was the best one. It was free. Yeah, yeah, and their CRM, yeah. you need a, you, you're just a small business, need a CRM? HubSpot, free. best one there is. Yeah. And it's free. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the initial one is free. And yeah. if you want to, if you, I love HubSpot Academy. It's, yes. Um, it's a bunch of free courses. You know, you can learn about how to do Instagram. You can learn how, you know, all sorts of different things about you can learn. I actually built a course on fanocracy with my daughter on HubSpot Academy, giving it all away for free. There's like a dozen people who work in HubSpot Academy. They have professors and they have people who are uh, working on the marketing of HubSpot Academy, all to deliver free content to people. It's amazing. And, you know, HubSpot market cap last time I checked is north of $20 billion. I mean... It's a crazy, crazy, crazy success story. All built on this idea of fandom and yeah. no question about it because I've been there. I've helped yeah. them to do that. Super great. So if I uh, look at a Canadian example, we have WestJet put out this video yeah. years ago, um, Christmas video. And, and I, I still- I love that video. Yeah. I love that video. Yeah, And that's to this a day, if I video. can choose between, I always go WestJet because my heart is warm towards them. It's how I, I actually can feel it. Yeah. Um, where can people find you? Find the book. Where can they follow you? So that we have a, a website at fanocracy.com. You can check that out. There's some videos and some deeper dives into some of these examples that we've shared. On Twitter, Insta, and a few other places, I am dmscott, D-M-S-C-O-T-T. -T. And I use my middle name professionally because I am the only David Meerman Scott on the yes. planet. 
That's so amazing. you can go to the Google machine and find me. <laughs> so if I want to buy your book, but I want to buy it in bulk, like I want to get 10 copies for my team mm. or I want to get 20 copies or I want to send it to all my clients, what's the best way to make that happen for someone? Um, so actually, there, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking me that. There's a number of ways that I can do some cool stuff around bulk copies. I can um, sign books. Yep. If you buy 100 books, I'll do a meeting with your team. If you buy a couple hundred books, I'll do a, a webinar for your clients. So lots of different ways to do that. Just reach out to me and, and, and we can work out a deal. Amazing, amazing. I just, actually funny, and, and this might go for a lot of people listening to the show, I did a, a pitch recently to a haircutting, a men's haircut place in Canada. And, and my whole model was based on this book, was just let's create fans. Because oh, cool. you can go anywhere. And so I, I'm just realizing now, I actually want to send them some books. So I'm going to follow up with this and I'm going to get Please. some... Yeah, and, and then they'll get kind of more the why behind why my pitch was formulated in such a way. Oh, that's awesome. That would be great. Yeah, and, and one of the cool ways that I love to do signings is, and especially great being during COVID, but you send me stickers yes. with your branding on it. Yeah. I sign them, and I'll, I'll write something on it yeah. as well, each one. And I send them back to you. You mm-hmm. stop them on the books and send them out. So it's not only a signed book by the author, but it's also got your branding on it. So I think I've done five or five, I've signed 5,000 of those in the last year because lots of clients bought, you know, 500 or 300, 400, 500 copies. And in the, in the pre-COVID world, I was doing in-person events. Yeah. If you bought 500 copies, I would do a free in-person event. Um, amazing. I normally charge $22,000 for a speaking gig, but they were able to buy books for something like half that price. To, and they put their logo on the label, and it was super cool. It's amazing. So HubSpot links, some of the resources, link to buy the book. We're going to put all that in the show notes. Don't uh, forget MeUndies. <laughs> yeah. yeah this, was not, this episode was not brought to you by MeUndies, but if you are interested, we'll put, a, we'll put a link out to them as well. You know what's funny? I actually bought a pair of MeUndies, uh, uh, Saks. And then a pair of beneath. I tried them all because I was switching oh, from, from boxers yeah. to briefs. Yeah. And, and I've settled on beneath. So they're a smaller okay. little underwear shop out of North Vancouver. Nice. Um, and it's because I have big thighs. I have very uh, yeah. large thighs. And it's the only pair of underwear. It was actually designed by mountain bikers uh, oh. that, where my, my, the thighs don't ride. Nice. Yes, yes, yes. So, so I think my I have. A, so, if you are a, a man with large thighs, uh, beneath <laughs> is the best one for you. Yeah, uh, and I'm I'm the opposite. My wife jokes as she says I look like Big Bird because I have these little tiny skinny yeah, yeah, legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, um, David, it was a real pleasure to have you. I'm, Thank uh, you, Darian. I appreciate. I appreciate. It. It's a really, really fun conversation. Yeah. So, Canadians. Thank you for listening. Check out the book. Just even the concepts here. HubSpot Academy, uh, very inspiring. Thank you for uh, promoting that as well. I am a huge fan of just the fact that they provide certificates, which continues to mature our industry and a world that maybe is kind of newer to a lot of new folks and, and kind of a newer industry. It's amazing that they've taken the time and energy to certify it. So thank you, HubSpot, as well. We'll see everyone next time on Marketing News Canada. Thanks again, David. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies 
we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 